Hello, Untangling audience. Welcome to another episode of Untangling. Cannot thank the audience enough for subscribing and also sharing these episodes. We are six downloads away from over 1,000 downloads since this adventure started. Again, this is a fun hobby, and they say you find something you love and you'll never have to work again. So can't thank the audience enough. We're six downloads away from a thousand downloads since Untangling has been in existence. So continue to download these shows, share them, spread the word, especially if you like the latest episode. So what's been going on? A chaotic week. It is, what's today? Today is See, it's so hard for me to even know the days. So today's actually Thursday, August 4th, 2022. And uh, to the right of me, I'm watching the Hall of Fame game, which is just brutal. And on today's episode, we're going to talk Deshaun Watson. We're going to talk NFL. But I also want to talk about, you know, just my trip that we took last week. So last Thursday, no, was it? No, we left on, oh, yeah, my, I'm trying. I'm getting my dates confused. So we left on Saturday of this past week, and we went to Battle Creek, Michigan. So what we d- decided to do is, again, when we travel, we always break the trip up. So we decided to go to a blueberry farm before we got to Battle Creek. And this blueberry farm, it's located maybe 30 minutes before Kalamazoo, Michigan, for those of you who know the area. And I want to say right around Michigan City. Uh, So it's really interesting because when you're in Illinois, for those of you listening who's not familiar with the terrain, so in Illinois, you will, when, when the central part, so you head north like you're heading towards Chicago, but you will actually go towards uh, Gary, Indiana. And a little bit of trivia for those of you listening to the show. So last week when I talked about, I talked about Moline and Prince. Well, the king of pop is actually from Gary, Indiana. And Gary, Indiana is literally a stone's throw away from Chicago. So I remember growing up and the king of pop is obviously Michael Jackson. Rest in peace. And we're going through Gary, Indiana. And I started thinking of the movie, The Jackson 5. And it's an old movie. It used to come on TV. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's actually a really good movie. It talks about, you know, Michael, how alone he was, how mean his dad was, how overbearing his dad was. So just a great movie. And I was a big Michael Jackson fan. But the movie really took me into his life. So as I'm driving, I'm like, oh, you know, I told my daughter, hey, this is the home of the king of pop. I actually quizzed my wife and she actually knew the answer. So Gary, Indiana is where Michael Jackson was born. So we started talking about that. But I bring up Gary, Indiana because I used to say, you know, with these stars, I remember like one of Michael Jackson's songs was, you know, I'm going to Kansas City. You know, you'd hear a lot about Chicago. And what people don't understand is how, I don't want to say close because it's obviously a drive, but how interconnected all these places are. If you're talking about Chicago, you're also talking about Detroit. You're talking about Kansas City. 
okay? You're talking about Indianapolis. So that's why you heard a lot of the uh, people who came up in the Midwest going to these cities because you could literally get from one of those cities to another city within the same day, some within hours of each other. So it's just kind of fascinating as you're driving, you kind of see this. So we ended up going to Battle Creek, Michigan, because I had a conference out there for uh, CIAHU. And again, I serve as the president of CIAHU. So these were for presidents, uh, co-chairs, the board, and anybody on the state level. So before I start talking about Battle Creek, we stop off at, I want to say what's called Chug's Blueberry Picking. And A, I've never been blueberry picking before. And with the state of Michigan, I have been to the state of Michigan before, but the last time I went, it I had to fly there. So my wife uh, and her family, they used to have a cottage in White Pigeon, Michigan, but it's also really close to the border of Indiana. So I remember taking a flight and flying over the University of Notre Dame and seeing the football field. So that's how close Michigan and Indiana are, depending on which part of the state you are when we're talking about Michigan. The other thing I realized is, you know, as I'm driving, you know, we're probably right around Gary, Indiana, and you see next right, you know, it's the route to Notre Dame. And I always forget how close Notre Dame is to Chicago. So it kind of explains why, you know, a lot of the graduates end up in Chicago. I remember going to a Chicago bar to watch a sporting event. And half the crowd were Notre Dame fans. And growing up on the East Coast, when you see these teams playing, it's kind of hard to figure out, okay, where are they located? Like, I know they're in Indiana, but where? But being in the Midwest, it's really helped me organize exactly where everything is. And we also went by uh, Valparaiso. And I want to say it's the same university that had that amazing run in March Madness. So, you know, just traveling, picking this stuff up. If I'm not listening to podcasts, clearly paying a lot of attention to the road and what's going on. But we decided to go blueberry picking. And this is the first time I've been blueberry picking. Again, we chose right around Kalamazoo, Michigan City, because that was basically the halfway point. So we get to this blueberry farm. And the first thing that happens is we take the wrong left into some guy's yard and you know he comes out very nice guy goes hey a lot of people do this the blueberry farm is actually across the street and i'm sitting there i'm just like this guy has to be outraged like how many people pull into because that's where actually the gps took us how many people pull into this guy's yard and he has to redirect them in regards to where the blueberry farm is so we go to the blueberry farm and there's a kid he's not a kid he's maybe 30 years old and you know, I'm just like, how does this work? He goes, you know, you buy a bucket. We weigh by the pound. So they give us this white bucket. And you could actually tie it around your waist. So we tied it around my daughter's waist. And she was not happy. Okay, she did not want anything around her waist. She's like, why can't I just hold it? And we had to explain to her, well, if you hold it, you have a pound to two pounds of blueberries. It's going to get heavy. She didn't care. She did not want it around her waist. So we let her uh, hold it. So... I get a bucket, my wife gets a bucket, we go on our way. It is a beautiful day, maybe 80 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. And one of the things I realized, and it didn't take me long to realize this, when you're in those fields, man, oh man, does it get hot. So I'm just like, wow, 
like, I wish I brought some water. If I could go back and do it again, I would have definitely brought some water. But it was just a blast. Took a lot of great pictures in regards to the vines. My daughter's looking for the best blueberries. I'd pick her up, and she would pick, like, the best ones. And one of the things with our household is we eat blueberries. And when I mean we, my wife and my daughter, I personally don't like blueberries. I don't like the texture. It's just something I didn't grow up eating. And my daughter has literally been eating them since she was born. And so we just had a blast. And we're like, wow, okay. And the way it works is it's $3 a pound. So I have a bucket. My wife has a bucket. My daughter has a bucket. And we finally get through picking. And we're like, is everybody happy? We compare them. And we get the best of the best blueberries. So we go to pay. And there's a line. A lot of families. Everybody's having a blast. If you haven't been blueberry picking with your family... Put it on your bucket list of things to do. We've been apple picking, blueberry picking, blows apple picking out of the water. The only argument people will have in regards to the two is apple picking happens in the fall. So the weather's a little cooler, which I preferably like compared to blueberry picking when the weather is hot. And I know this because we go to pay and I'm talking to the kid or the guy who's basically going to check us out. So we end up with nine pounds of blueberries, and it's $3 per pound. So let me do my math. I'm, you know, just counting on my finger here. Um, did I did do pretty well when it came to math. Let me see here. Okay, so you have nine. You just do nine three times. So you have nine, 18, 27. Yeah, so $27 for three pounds of blueberries we couldn't believe this deal so we're all happy and i'm talking to the guy i go so how does this work and he said ah uh, it's me and my brother and some of our family members it really starts our harvest really starts in january with and you know it gets cold up there so they're just kind of plotting the land they're not digging just plotting what's going to go where he was by march when it cleans up that's when all the digging and all that stuff starts and he said his family owns 119 acres. If you saw the size of this place, you would not believe it. He owns 119 acres. And he said the work that goes in to getting the thing ready. So, you know, people could come here and do blueberry picking. They also work with distributors. He said that blueberry picking is available through his farm, I don't know how anyone else's farm works. I know there's a lot of people listening who are, you know, experts at this, saying there's no way I know what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you what this person told me. He said, so for his business, for people who to come up and go blueberry picking, it's July 1st to August 1st. So we barely made the cutoff. And then they shut it down. And they get ready for next year. So him, his brother, and a few family members have to manage 119 acres of blueberries. And I've talked to my wife. She said this was something she did growing up. And in her own words, there's no place like Michigan to go blueberry picking. So for those of you who haven't been to Michigan who want to go, I recommend going blueberry picking. And what are the events you might have going on? So, we get to Battle Creek. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're staying at the Holiday Inn. And I was not impressed. I wasn't impressed because, you know, with the Holiday Inn, what we did is, okay, does it have a pool for our daughter? 
and it had a pool. And we get there, and this place kind of reminds me a little bit of my home because you know they had the Myers, they had the Menards, they had the Best Buy, they had the Chick Fil A, and we have all that stuff right where I live. I'm like, what am I in Bloomington? And Battle Creek, it's consists of roughly fifty thousand uh, people, give or take. And I'm like, man, this is tough. And you know, we just we're gonna spend one day at the Holiday Inn because for my work. They booked a suite at the casino, which is called the, let me get the name here. The name of the casino is Firekeeper Firekeepers Casino and Hotel. So we got there on Saturday. We're gonna stay at the Holiday Inn on that Sunday. We're gonna to go to the Firekeepers Casino. And again, I was not a fan Battle Creek's Holiday Inn. We just had to make it through one night, which we did. We had some interesting characters in our hotel. It is what it is. We made it through the night, and the next day. I crossed my fingers and said, when we get to the Firekeeper's Casino, it, this better be worth it. Like, what a nightmare. If we had to stay at the Holiday Inn for three days, there's no question in my mind, uh, the next day I would have drove home, okay? That's how bad I thought this place was. I won't put my wife's opinions on here because, you know, she could speak for herself. My daughter, uh, she said it was okay. They, have, they had a pool, so no complaints from her. I, w I was simply just not a fan. But anyways, so that Sunday, we end up at the Firekeepers Casino in Battle Creek. And coming from a guy who lived in Vegas, I was so happy when we checked into this room. It was amazing. Just reminded me of Las Vegas, how clean, just one of the brand new casinos in Vegas, how clean it was. The new, where we were staying in the hotel, was brand new the screen tv was embedded in the wall so it kind of looked like a mirror one of the things i really like about new is you could just see the attention to details you know usb outlets instead of just the regular outlets the lights are controlled through a tablet that you could literally pick the tablet up and walk around my daughter's like i can't believe this this hotel is amazing my wife was happy. I was happy. And I'm like, man, this trip was started off not on a good foot, but boy, has it turned around. You could go downstairs and gamble. You saw people. It was alive. So we end up at the Battle Creek. And then my daughter's like, we got to go see the pool. We go see the pool and they have one layer. It's an infinity pool that goes into another pool. Okay. And across... I call it a jacuzzi. My daughter calls it a hot tub. This enormous hot tub. So we are high-fiving each other. We're like, you know what? 
Worst case scenario, even if this turns out to be awful, we're going to spend our vacation time here. But it just ended up being the casino literally saved the trip. I have severely mixed reviews about Michigan, but that's for another uh, time. But with Battle Creek, what we did was, again, it was a way to kind of network and share ideas. And we had a leader who uh, said the following. And she said, leaders ask great questions. Asking questions allows you to find people, not in the physical sense of finding. She also said, you need to know who you're leading, not just the surface. She went on to say, it is imperative that growth of a leader or a coach to know each person they are leading moves you to the deepest place of leadership and coaching may be uncomfortable at times. So if you want to be a leader, get ready to be uncomfortable. And the other thing she shared, you know, that really stood out to me was avoiding being an assumptive leader. And what does she mean by that? She uses a quote. And that quote is, assumptions are the mother of mess ups. Wrong assumptions can and will cause communication gap. And that's a quote from uh, John Maxwell. So she said, avoid being a assumptive leader. So what are some of the questions you could ask? And some of those questions are simply, what inspires you? And this is a leader to a direct report. What inspires you? What motivates you? Who has challenged you lately? And I really like that question, okay? Imagine going to one of your direct reports and asking them, who has challenged you lately? I guarantee there's not an organization in America where manager, supervisor, or above is asking a direct report that question. And I think that's actually a really, really good question. And then she said, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? What must we change? So she's saying, if you want to be a leader, you have to know the people you're leading. You have to know what motivates them. And there's some basic fundamental questions that you can ask to better understand your team, to become a better leader, and not to become a assumptive leader where you're always just assuming things. Oh, the team is happy. Wow, they're so happy with the latest bonus they got. I've never had a better or much happier team. Nobody confirmed that because nobody on the team told you that. These are things in your head based on perception. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people lead, uh, who are listening, who are leaders, where maybe half the team hates them. The other half might think he or she is okay. But there's only one way to find that out. And that's by asking very, very difficult questions. You don't need it to become an interrogation. But also, when people ask, hey, what does your team think of you? Just don't jump to assumptions saying they think I'm the greatest. I do everything right. Because I always say it, in order to be a great leader, you have to be able to look in that mirror. And you have to also stop feeding your personal ego in regards to, how great you are. Because if the walls could talk, I'm pretty sure they would say something completely different. So 
The other thing, you know, she went on to say, and I really, really like this, and it's an African proverb. And the African proverb says, when you pray, move your feet. And what I like about that proverb is, you know, a lot of people like, man, and I'll use politics. You know, I love politics. Uh, Yeah, I don't want Donald Trump to be president. Like, he's the worst ever. I, I don't want, okay, great. Stop praying, use your feet, go to that voting booth and cast a ballot, okay? So... When you pray, an African proverb is move your feet. I use politics, but it's simply, if you're going to pray, you better help make it happen. So that really uh, stood out to us. But overall, it was just a really fun time being around people. Uh, I thought the food was pretty good uh, out in Michigan. It turns out they're pretty big on barbecue because, you know, obviously we had a lot of people from uh, Detroit who were part of the conference as well. So got a chance to meet a lot of really, really nice Detroit uh, people. One of the things that did kind of get on my nerves is had the TV in the background and every other thing that comes up is a political ad for the midterms. And it's a guy or a gal standing there and the message is always... We have to protect the integrity of our elections. It sounded like wired robots saying the same thing, you know, kind of like dressing up as the person they idolize. Just really, really, really strange behavior when it comes to, you know, adults dressing up like other men they idolize. Just, you know, when that stuff starts happening, I'm just like, that's literally when you have to go and see a shrink. Or there's some real, like, you know, mental health uh, stuff uh, going on there. So, it was just a fun trip. And then we ended up, you know, on the way home, we ended up going to Michigan City in Indiana, which is even crazier, okay? I'm assuming it's on the Michigan-Indiana border. It said we were in Indiana. Who knows? But it was so fascinating because Michigan City is on the Lake of Michigan. And we stopped... We went to Lake Michigan, and this part where we were at in Michigan City, I mean, I have pictures, and the water is so clear. It is just an amazing place. You saw families running around. Um, My daughter, we didn't even come equipped to swim. Like I had my slacks on from the meeting earlier that day, and my daughter just had her t-shirt on, some shorts. She went in the water. With my work pants and all, went in halfway in the water. She dove in, had an absolute blast. We took a picture at this amazing, you know, kind of uh, beaten down uh, where what's it called there lighthouse. But uh, we just had a we had a good time. We really did. But it's also good to be back in your routine. With my other job, it is busier than you can imagine. So just a chaotic week. Happy to be back. That's why it took so long to get this episode out because ideally, like I said, I would like to do these weekly, but wanted to just give you a little background in regards to Battle Creek, Michigan. If you haven't been, an amazing casino um, and more to come in regards to that. So while I was in Battle Creek, I'm a big sports guy. So I got a chance to listen to the Draymond Green podcast, and he had just a great conversation with DeMar DeRozan. Hands down, my favorite Draymond Green episode yet. 
If you do not know who DeMar DeRozan is, I mean, you have to listen to this episode. Uh, he talks about, you know, mental health battles, uh, growing up in Compton, what the Drew League meant with having LeBron James. And people don't understand this. And Draymond, you know, really hid this. He goes, imagine growing up in the projects. You have a gym across the street and you have DeMar DeRozan and LeBron James who decide they're going to come to your city or town and play a high school basketball game. And DeRozan said, he, you, can't exp- you can't explain what that meant to the community. You can't explain what that meant to uh, those kids. He talked about growing up where the only NBA player he knew, and he named the guy, and it's somebody I've never heard of before. And he just goes into his background, how you know Golden State wanted him, just dealing with depression. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the Dream on Green show, please do. Listen to the DeMar DeRozan episode, and it is an absolute blockbuster. So got a chance to listen to that podcast, and then here comes the Deshaun Watson news. And Deshaun Watson, I mean, like, I'm going to be honest. The NFL is the worst-run business in America, and there isn't a close second, okay? Don't be fooled by TV contracts and money. Roger Goodell is so unqualified for the position he has, and the only thing saving him is his TV contracts because the TV studios understand the value of the product this moron has. So when Roger Goodell first came into the league, I personally didn't know what to make of him. And I remember talking to my father-in-law who played in the NFL. And he's a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. So this is before anybody knows who Roger Goodell is. We're just having a conversation. I said, what are your thoughts? New commissioner, Roger Goodell. And he told me, he goes, Charles, I'm telling you right now, this guy's not qualified for the position. He's arrogant. He is a moron. And he has no clue what he's doing. And I immediately took the other side because I'm like, you know, we don't know this guy. Like, we don't know his pedigree. You know, I know his father was like a state senator or something like that. And one of the lessons I learned is never question somebody who's actually done what they're talking about, played in the league that they're talking about, because they know a lot more than you do. And Roger Goodell goes on, okay? So this is before any incident happens. My father-in-law, day one, couldn't stand the guy. So after he tells me that, you have Ray Rice, who knocks out his girlfriend in an elevator. This is brought to the uh, NFL, Goodell's attention. He says, how bad could it be? Suspends Ray Rice for two games, okay? So this is a, uh, a company that's making maybe $25 billion or so. They don't have any policies. So... You could walk down to a 7-Eleven and they have more policies than the NFL. That's an actual fact, okay? So he says to Ray Rice, I'll give you two games based on what you're telling me of punching your girlfriend in an elevator or fiancé at the time. If anybody told you they just punched their girlfriend or their fiancé in an elevator, wouldn't you say, maybe I should call the cops or you can't be part of this organization? That's what a rational person would say. So Goodell says, you know what? No, we'll do two games. And then the video comes out and the world gets to see how vicious this is. Where Ray Rice punches his fiance, knocks her all cold, 
And now Goodell's like, oh my God, we got a mess on our hands. So this is a guy who agreed with Ray Rice to give him two games. He comes back to the table and says, I didn't know it was that bad. Well, when somebody tells you they punched their girlfriend in the face, uh, I mean, how much worse can it be, right? Like, when you just go with the extreme here, he didn't. So now he has to come back and say, oh, we're going to do uh, four games. So everybody says, Roger has way too much power. Okay, Tom Brady, he's running after Tom Brady for Deflategate. Tom Brady sues him. And it just leaves this smear on the league. Just one bad decision after another. And there are so many more. Okay, so many more to count. Ben Rosenberger, two of them. One in um, uh, Lake Tahoe, where he was alleged with sexual uh, misconduct. And then another one at a Ohio bar. Uh, Big Ben gets four games because there's no policy. Okay, so you're talking about sexual abuse. And not once, twice. And people forget the second time with Big Ben because, you know, the NFL's PR. They'll brush that under the rug. And he's just like, yeah, uh, four games. And people are like, are you crazy? So Zeke, uh, and Zeke is, you know, the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. And this is where my father-in-law was furious. Uh, some girls said Zeke did something that Zeke said he didn't do. They hire an investigator. The NFL hires an investigator. The investigator goes back to the NFL and says, the person saying Zeke did this is not credible. Okay, the NFL takes all this evidence and says, okay, so we had a private investigator. We have a we have in-house counsel. They all agree this person is not uh, the person accusing Zeke of this is not credible. Okay, we'll give him six games. So Zeke gets suspended more for he said she said than Big Ben who got four. Tom Brady for deflated football. He got six games. So Jerry Jones is outraged at this point, and he's just like. You can no longer bring these punishments down on these players, okay? You have to go to an independent counsel. And interesting fact about Roger Goodell, he's the first commissioner without a law background. So this explains a lot of the lunacy that he's doing, thinking you could kind of just wing things in America, a country of laws. And so he gets... You know, Jerry Jones tells him, you have to get an independent, you know, counsel to investigate these things. So here comes Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, you all know the story. I'm not going to get into it. He went into massage parlors, did who knows what. Um, and I always said, four years at Clemson, not a peep about this. Four years at Houston, not a peep about this. He asked for a trade. And here comes the floodgates, okay? I'm not going to get into it. He did it. He didn't do it. Because I wasn't there. And we do live in an environment now where if you do not side with the victims, um, your career will come to an end. Not it might, it will come to an end. But whatever happened, happened. Okay? Two grand juries in Texas said we can't indict this guy because there's we don't you don't have the evidence. Two. Not one, two. Okay, so you either believe in laws or you don't believe in laws. Two grand juries said we can't indict this guy. And so now the Texans, it turns out. They helped supply the culture where he was able to do this. Nothing in regards to the Texans. Multi-billion dollar organization. Roger Goodell is not interested in the Texans part of this. And the Texans have settled lawsuits with some clients who have accused them of this. They settled. But the NFL NFL is not interested in uh, investigating that. They're worried about Deshaun Watson. Okay, So now 
a judge, a federal judge, Robinson, gets these documents, okay, and she's disgusted by Deshaun's behavior, which she should be. And she said to Goodell, based on your policies, based on my findings, legally, we cannot suspend this man for more than six games. And so the independent counsel was agreed upon between the NFL and the NFLPA. We're going to have an we're going to have an independent counsel take this case, and whatever their decision is, we will respect that. So Robinson comes down with six-game suspension. Mind you, Deshaun already missed one year in Houston, okay? Now people are outraged. You have all the pundits on the radio, outrage, and everybody, if you notice one thing about the media and everybody on the radio, they all have to say the right thing because that paycheck is the cost of their principle. They have to say the right thing, okay? They have to go with where the wind is blowing because they are scared to death of being fired. I was watching ESPN today, just watching them talk about this, how uncomfortable they are to say the wrong thing, is just fascinating TV. It literally looks like a hostage situation. So now Goodell's like, oh my God, people, they're upset. What do I do? He goes, oh, I'm outraged, and the NFL has three days to appeal. He goes, I'm going to appeal. So you used to do this on your own. You couldn't get it right once. Jerry Jones and the league owners came to you and said, hey, you do not want to be the judge, executioner, and the jury. Hire an independent counsel, which you did. The independent counsel, who is a federal judge, okay, who has a law background, whereas you don't, tells you what you could legally do. And you come out because of public outcry that you got to suspend them for more games. Because the NFL, when I think of the NFL, I think, and I'm being sarcastic here, you think of ethics, you think of morale, you think of moral compass, you think of good people. I mean, give me a break. This is such a disaster that I've never seen anything like it. So Goodell could have just blamed Robinson come out, hey, the NFL would have, you know, preferred a year-long suspension. However, we had an independent counsel. We don't agree with that ruling. However, we respect her ruling. You move on six games, and everybody moves on. So now, Goodell's going to have this thing carry on for another year because what's going to happen is Deshaun Watson's legal team is going to sue the NFL, and he is probably going to win because legally – the NFL does not have anything to stand on, okay? Two juries can convict this guy. You have a year of not playing. You're playing around with this guy's income. You had a federal judge tell you what you can and cannot do, and you're going to go against that federal judge's opinion. I mean, this is a absolute disaster. It's going to carry on, and here's where it really gets interesting. So, if you're familiar with Las Vegas, you had a lot of people who took, because the Browns play the Carolina Panthers on uh, the first game of the preseason. The Carolina Panthers are favored by one. So it's Carolina minus one. Okay. And now if the, sh- and a lot of people took Carolina, oh, you know, Cleveland, they're a mess. They don't have a quarterback. We're going to take Carolina. So now if Deshaun Watson sues, which he's going to do. Until they figure the thing out, this guy could play football. 
So now you have all these people who gambled saying, hey, hey, wait a minute here. Are you telling me I went and put my money down based on information I had and that information is about to change? So there's a gambling aspect to this as well. And maybe this is why they say don't gamble. I'm not defending Deshaun Watson. However, okay, in America, you're innocent until proven guilty. I know it's crazy. Foreign concept, right? And hopefully this isn't something new to people listening. And one thing you cannot do as a business is let emotions determine how you continue to operate your business. Did Deshaun Watson get himself in a mess? Absolutely. Did he miss a year of football? Yes, he did. Did he lose compensation for that? Yes, he did. And here's what's even more fascinating with the NFL. While this is going on, it turns out the owner of the Miami Dolphins told his head coach, who is suing him, ex-head coach, to 10 games. And the NFL completely agreed with that. He goes, yep, based on our investigation, the Miami Dolphins, they were throwing games. What happened to the um, Miami Dolphins owner? I think he got a $5 million fine, lost a number one draft pick and a number two draft pick or three draft pick the following years, and he'll be back this year. I mean, it, for I, I know the money's great for these owners, but they have to be thinking, how do we get rid of this guy? We have the contracts in place. You're talking about 32 billionaires, so I'm pretty sure they could figure it out, and I'm pretty sure they probably know somebody who could do a better job than Roger Goodell. They have to be asking themselves, this is a disaster. It's always a disaster after another disaster. How do we get rid of this guy? And a lot of people, they've stopped watching the NFL. I've had people tell me, I don't know what you're talking about. I stopped watching that garbage after the Kaepernick disaster. We didn't even talk about Kaepernick. Another disaster that Roger Goodell handled. So let me ask you, you are in an organization you see a CEO make this many mistakes, you continue to hang around? Like nobody steps up, nobody on the board says, we got to get rid of this guy? Why? Because our profits are good? I mean, there's a lot of companies with good profits and ethics. The two could coexist. I can't take Roger Goodell seriously. I can't believe before he even took the job, my father-in-law told me this guy is a clown. And I doubted him. And here we are, this many years later, and it's one disaster after another. Since I've been watching Roger Goodell run the NFL, I can't think of one time where he made the right decision. So with that, that'll end this episode of Untangling, and see you next week.